You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I've got something that's just so special that I'm going to deliver to you today. Before I get into it, I'm going to preface this and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just straight up, I'm going to straight up tell you, I'm going to tell you some really, really hard things, but it's really, really good stuff. I'm going to say it with joy, but it's, if, if you have, if you have any <laughs> religiosity in you at all, you're going to be really upset by the time I'm done talking today. Or actually, probably within, you might already be upset. If you're upset already, you need to just deal with that. Amen. But I'm going to really confront some things because I don't want to settle for here. I want what God has. I don't want to get to the end of my life and you and be here when God says, I've got more for you. Amen. And so the Lord really began to speak to me and really impress upon my heart just to, just to have our eyes opened up to the fact that this church, we carry a revival spirit. God's called us to carry a revival spirit. And a revival spirit, I'm going to show you what that looks like, but it's the, it's the, the it factor in the spirit that causes what's going the wrong way to go the right way. It causes the things literally that are impossible, but with God and a person that's submitted to the Lord can make the impossible situation become possible in their life. It will cause the person that has no desire to dance for the Lord, to start dancing for the Lord. It will cause a a, a, a totally dignified person that would never even think about moving their hands in worship to be prostrate, prostate, prostrate. Why didn't we pick a different word for that? Cause them to be laid out on the floor, right? All the medical people are like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? It'll cause you to just be a totally different person, but the person that God has called you to. And that's what a spirit of revival is supposed to do. It's supposed to shake us out of our grave clothes. It's supposed to shake us out of complacency. And I, I'm, oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So here's what the Lord spoke to me. And he told me to share this. So about four and a half to five years ago, I had a dream, which I've mentioned briefly um, over the years, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on it a little bit more. And I'll probably, I might actually read it next week. I'll see how it goes. But I'm just going to share, and I'm going to go into a series over the next month about some things, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to briefly mention it. But I had a, a dream, and in this dream, uh, I was on my childhood street, and this was very, very important because, see, God has destiny for your life that starts from the time you're born. Before you are even born, God has destiny for your life. It first starts with coming to the cross And it first starts with being surrendered to him. And then after that, God can begin to reveal to you the things that he has for you. But understand this, the enemy also has a destiny for your life. And he will oppose you at every turn. Getting a hold of God's destiny will help you oppose, automatically oppose what God has for you. Amen. And when you get a hold of what he, it'll help you oppose what the enemy has for you. Don't oppose what God has for you. You Gotta be careful what you're listening to. When you get a hold of what God has for you, it will automatically oppose what the devil has for you. But you have to understand something. The enemy has cooked up plans against you. And I had this dream. It was one of the most supernatural dreams that I ever had. And in the dream, um, I was on my childhood street that I grew up in St. Louis. It was the place that I was uh, uh, born. When I was first born, I lived in that house. And in my dream, uh, I came to this 
Uh, it was a really secure place, and there was all these guards and all this kind of uh, military stuff going on. And I came, and I, I began to talk to this one lady, and I told her, I said, we have been doing business with a company for 40 years, and we're, not, we're stopping to do business with them. I had this dream. Let's say I had it four years ago. I am 40 years old now. And I couldn't say this when I had the dream because people have been like, oh, pastor's dealing with demons. Let's get out of here. Listen, everybody has demonic stuff come against them. And four years ago, the Lord showed me that I had three demonic entities that were assigned to me. Is this too spiritual for some? Can you, can you handle this? You understand that there's a whole spiritual realm that goes beyond what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. There are uh, God-assigned angels. There's the Holy Spirit. And there's also demonic angels. And those things are warring against your destiny and against your heart. And so we don't need to spend time glorifying the devil. I'm not saying that. But becoming aware of his devices will help us be able to step into what God has. It will help us be able to recognize the plans that the enemy has. And we can stop it at every turn. Well, in my dream, going back to my dream, uh, somebody, the lady I was talking to, she told me to go up and talk to somebody on the third floor of this building. And so I begin to climb up this building, out the outside of the building. You ever wonder if I had good climbing skills? Let me tell you, I do. And, and as I'm climbing, I realize I have a baby in my hand, and, or in my arms, and I'm climbing with this baby, and I get up to this doorway, and there's a woman standing there, and she said, can I help you with anything? And I said, yes, take my baby. My baby leapt and went over to her. I go over to, I walk in the room, I go over to a table, and there's three women standing uh, behind these, and it's not a gender thing, but there was three women standing behind this table, and there was a card in front of each of them, and they each said something different except for the middle one, which was blank. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of what the card said on them, but as I went through, I looked at the one on the left, then the one in the middle, and the one on the right, and I realized the one on the right had was the one that had my baby was in another room saying a seance rubbing oil over my baby's head <sighs> so i mean you know i i wrestled with this dream for a while like lord what does this mean and so as i begin to get interpretation to the dream the lord showed me it was jezebel religion and witchcraft and i i bought a book right before i had this this dream i bought a a book that I didn't even know what the book was, but I felt impressed to buy it. And I started reading. I mean, I knew what the book was about, but I started reading the book and I felt impressed to stop. And the Lord speaks to me prophetically with books as I'm reading. I'll stop and then I'll pick up things and start to read and then things will happen in sequence with my reading because I stopped and I obeyed the Holy Ghost. And so I was reading this book. I stopped. I had this dream. I go back to reading the book, and the person starts talking about a dynamic trio that is assigned to apostolic ministry, and it's a dynamic trio spiritually of Jezebel, religion, and witchcraft. So the next three weeks, and I'm not going to get to that part today, the next three weeks I'm going to talk to you about the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of religion, and the spirit of witchcraft. And in and, and the dream, this was so cool, and the dream... The blank card was the woman right in the middle, and that blank card had nothing on it. And when I asked the Lord, I said, what is going on? Why is that one blank? And he said, because she has been silenced. Good job, son. <laughs> you know that uh, uh, Jezebel was a, I'm not going to get into it, but was a nasty woman in the Bible. And do you know that the spirit that operated through Jezebel operates through people today? 
Same spirit. And do you know that there is a spirit of religion that worked to kill Jesus? Remember the Pharisees? They were the ones that were responsible for him going to the cross. That same spirit, those same spirits still work to stop the move of God today. And you know that there is a spirit of witchcraft? And here is what a spirit of witchcraft is. It's a twisting spirit that works to distort spiritual reality in the minds of people. And I had to fight, and I had to fight, and I had to fight until finally I got breakthrough in it. And with Jezebel, here's what Jezebel is. um, Jezebel's playground is the realm of higher authority. She works to subvert authority and will take what doesn't belong to her if proper authority isn't in operation. And we came here because God called us here. We started this church because God told us to start it. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I love Jesus and I'm going to teach the word and I want to tell you some things. I had no idea what I was operating in. I had no idea what God had called me to operate in, and I had no idea the assignment that was sent against me. And so it took a little bit, but then I realized that I had laid down my, and really never took up my authority as the spiritual leader in this place and in this region, and I had all kinds of nonsense that went on that I could have totally avoided if I had just set precedent before then of what God wanted. And so we squelched that. I can tell you that I have squelched the witchcraft spirit that was assigned to my mind. There's all these this symbolism and stuff in the dream, but I, I squelched it, and I the enemy, he doesn't have authority in my mind. And I'm gonna talk to you about witchcraft stuff, and it's not like most people think. It can be in forms of like, you know, people sitting and playing with Ouija boards and, you know, doing seances and stuff. That can be forms of witchcraft, but what witchcraft does is it toys with your mind and gets you to believe things and twist things and get you to believe things that are not in, in, in right with what God says about you. And I'm telling you now, when you have an assignment from the Lord, you'll have things that will come against you to try to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. And this is what the Lord spoke to me this past weekend. And I was like, Lord, why are you telling me this right now? Because he said, I want you to go back and I want you to teach it to the people. I want you to help them understand it. The very first, it was like one week ago, almost to the hour. um, I walk into the worship service and within three months, the Lord starts speaking to me about the spirit of religion. And I'm telling you now, every generation has to deal with the spirit of religion. Every generation has to deal with people that are stuck in old form with no power when God's saying, I want you to move, and they're still stuck, and God's saying, I want you to move. That's the spirit of religion that keeps people stuck. Hallelujah. So I'm going to get into more of that uh, in the weeks to come. Does that make you excited or nervous? I don't know, but we're going to find out. So here's what the Lord wants me to show you today. I'm going to talk to you about a revival spirit because a revival spirit works in opposition to all three of these spirits. And that's why the Lord showed me that there was an assignment from Satan against my life and against your life because we're bound together. We're here together. Like what Liz says, we're called to this place. This is our place called there. And we're not going anywhere, amen? I mean, we have been plowing this thing and we are more excited about what God's doing than we've ever been in our life. It's because his spirit is found here. And you know that there is a revival spirit that he's placed on me. I couldn't shake it if I wanted to. I don't want to, but I couldn't shake it if I wanted to. That's why the Lord had that assignment against me and against us. And I can tell you now, we have crushed and continue to crush the head of Satan. Jezebel, religion, and witchcraft will never be allowed, will never be allowed to operate here.
because the spirit of the Lord is here. The spirit of freedom here is here, and there's a revival spirit on this place. Let me show you some things from the word first. Excuse me, Numbers chapter 14. Let's go to Numbers chapter 14. Now, let me show you somebody that had a revival spirit. And I'm going to depict you. I'm going to show you what a revival spirit is. And there was a lot of people in the word that had a revival spirit. And I'm going to show you what it is, and I'm going to show you how to capture it, and I'm going to show you how to walk in it. And this is one person in particular that I think is a really, really awesome example. And this is talking about Caleb. And this is right on the heels. And I'm going to go back and read some of this so we'll get it in context. But I want to start at kind of the end, at the end of this particular time. But what happened was that the Lord gave instructions to Moses to send the heads of each tribe out into the land that he was calling them into. And they were to go spy out the land. And so there's a lot that happened between that point and this point. But I want to start here. And in verse 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. Now, what is a different spirit? Well, in context, it's talking about a different spirit than what all of the other people, with the exception of Joshua, what all of the other people had. He had a different spirit about him. And I believe it's what you could call a spirit of faith or it was a revival spirit. And it was in him as he followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. I don't know if you've noticed, but Liz and I have a different spirit about us. See, when you get this difference, and when I'm talking about a different spirit, I'm talking about the spirit of your mind. I'm talking about what you believe, your belief system, and how you think, and how you operate, and how you approach the Lord. And when you get a different spirit, God's revival spirit on you, You'll have what it takes to break off every yoke that comes in your life. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a sickness issue. It doesn't matter if it's a relationship issue. It doesn't matter if it's tormenting spirits. It doesn't matter if all of your family is against you. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with rejection. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with fear. When you have this revival spirit on you, you can break off everything that's coming against you. And let me tell you something. For anybody that's dealing with apathy and you think, what's the point of this? The point of this is that God's given you a destiny that goes far beyond where you're at right now. Far beyond where you're at right now. And if you feel like you're okay with where you're at, you need to get a hold of God's vision for you because it's so far above and beyond where you and I are currently at right now. And what we need is we need something in us that says, I'm not going to settle for the less. I'm not going to settle for where I'm at now. Because what happened with the children with the children of Israel, is that they came to this place, and, I, and I'll show this, we'll read this. They came to this place where they said, you know what, let's raise up a different leader who's not compelling us to go to a place where we've got fear. They said, let's raise up a different leader that will take us back, listen to this, back into Egypt. Because there we had leeks and we had cucumbers and we had things. Yes, we had hard labor. Yes, we were enslaved. Yes, we were being tormented. Yes, we were being told what to do. Yes, it was basically a form of communism. Yes, it was terrible. But at least we had our little needs met and everything was in a nice package. And then what happened is that Joshua and Caleb rose up and they said, listen, let's be quiet here. Don't go against the word of the Lord. And it says they spoke of stoning him. You know what that is? That's a religious spirit. A religious spirit is a murderous spirit and it will work to stop or kill the move of God. God has a move 
that he wants to have happen in your life. You say, what does this look like? This looks like every day that you wake up, you should be red hot on fire for Jesus all of the time. You say, well, Pastor Ken, I heard you talk about you watched, uh, you watched movies and you watched uh, Star Wars. I don't think you really are. Yeah, but you know what? Anytime I do something like that to relax or whatever, my heart is never disconnected with Jesus. This isn't a legalistic thing. This is about do you burn for him or not? Do you burn for the one that burned for you? Do you have a relentless pursuit in you that says, I'm going to pursue him with everything I have in me, regardless of anything? And if you would like to throw a stone at me right now, it's because you have a religious spirit. And if you're online and you want to call me a false prophet and a heretic, we love you and we bless you, but you have a religious spirit. I told you that preacher was dangerous for me to listen to. <laughs> so Caleb had a different spirit about him. I believe it was a revival spirit. Let me go back to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1. Look at this here. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Before you can go anywhere or do anything that's of God's destiny, God has to speak to you. He has to speak to your leaders. And here's the thing is that if you're under a leader that never hears the voice of God, you shouldn't be under that leader. If you are under a leader that hears the voice of God, you should be under that leader. Quit trying to buck the system and just enjoy the ride. Because I tell you what, it's a lot harder to be at the place to where you're responsible before God. People think that pastors work for them. A true pastor, a true senior leader serves the people, but they work for God. I had a guy come to me one time and he goes, well, um, you know, and he was just like that too. Actually, it wasn't far from that. He's like, well, uh, uh, who makes sure that you're preaching the word? And I said, well, I think the people would probably know. He goes, no, who's your, who's your oversight, whatever. And I said, and finally, I said, God is. I said, if I'm responsible to God. I said, if I'm doing things wrong, I'm going to have to answer to God. He was more worried about his presbytery and his denomination coming down on him. I'm concerned about God coming down on me if I don't preach right. I live with a higher level of whateverness there. So here we go. Numbers 13, 1 through 2. Everybody doing okay? Good. It says, send, me to, uh, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran or Paran or however you say that, according to the command of the Lord, all of them went, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So here's the story. They had a land they were going into and the Lord said, go and spy out that land. And so he picked the heads of each one of those things of each one of those tribes, and then they were supposed to come back with a report. Now we're going to fast forward for time's sake, and I want to jump down to verse 25, and basically between verse 3 and verse 25 is all of the different tribes, the people going out, and then coming back with a report of what was going on in the land. Verse 25, it says, and they returned from spying out the land after uh, 40 days. 
Uh, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we, uh, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. It sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, it's the worst, probably the worst nevertheless in the whole entire Bible. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which were the giant people. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites uh, dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So what happened was that Moses had these 12 spies that came back, the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And he let the 10 nonsense ones talk first. You're going to hear a lot from me in the days to come about culture and about how important our culture is. Moses, as the leader, had a heart to trust God, but only two of those 12 sub-leaders, if you will, had a heart like Moses to believe God. And this is why you don't just give the microphone to anybody to stand up and say anything because people, even with a good heart, could end up saying things that totally violate what God's spoken to that people. We have a place we're going. We have something we're going to possess. We have hearts that we're going to reach. We have families that are going to be transformed. And so we have to make sure that we have things set up right. Well, what you have to do is you have to have people that have a heart like Joshua and Caleb who will answer like the next verse. And it says in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Good job, Caleb. Somebody say, good job, Caleb. And said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. You see, what happened was these 10 spies didn't watch where they put their butt. I know you've heard this before, but they didn't watch where they put their butt. They said, <laughs> they said, all of these, uh, all of the, the land is good and there's all this fruit there and there's all this produce there and it's flowing with milk and honey. But, nevertheless, but, there's giants in the land. Joshua or Caleb gets up and he says, hey, everybody be quiet. Everybody listen up. Sometimes you need to tell yourself that. Shut up, you. <laughs> you ever known what God told you and then you're wrestling on the inside? Sometimes you need to go, shut up. Shut up, mind. Be quiet. For we are well able to take. With God, all things are possible. We are well able to take the land. You know why he had that? Because he had a revival spirit. He had something in him that was, that was willing to look at the impossible and say, with God, it's possible. Thank you, Jesus. And it says in verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying the land uh, through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. They were literally seeing giants in the land. There, there, um, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. They have what I call the grasshopper syndrome. They saw themselves a certain way. So they believed that those people saw them the same way. Do you know? that the people of the land that they were going into, so at least in some parts of it, they feared the children of Israel. Yeah. 
You know why they feared the children of Israel? Because they had heard testimony about this, this great empire, Egypt. I believe at that point it might have been the biggest empire in the world at that point. It, it was close to it if it wasn't. And they heard about this giant empire and this big bad pharaoh who had had these Jews that had been in captivity for 430 years, suddenly this man rose up, or seemingly suddenly this man rose up from nowhere, but from among them, and he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. He said, no, let my people go. He said, no, the 10 plagues came. It was supernatural. And finally he said, get out of here. And God hardened his heart. You would have thought that Pharaoh would have learned that I can't defeat God. Pharaoh went after them. They got to the Red Sea. It was impossible. God told Moses, stretch out your staff. He stretched out his staff. He parted the Red Sea. He dried the ground. They walked to the other side of it. And you would have thought Pharaoh would have figured it out by then, but he didn't. He, he tried to follow them. And the waves came down and crushed and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. And what happened is that that word went throughout all of the land. But when they went to possess the land, they had forgotten who they were. And they said, we were as grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. It was actually a lie. They were looking at natural circumstances, and they weren't looking at what God said. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. Man, I'm fired up. Yeah, and so let me go on reading here for just a moment. No, forget that. I'm not going to read anymore. I don't have time. I have to get into this right now. You can go back and read all of that. But basically what happened is, is they went back and forth. The people are like, we need a new leader. They said, let's, let's give us another leader to take us into, to take us back into Egypt. I mean, my God, can you think about it? Can you even consider that? They were free, set free supernaturally. They forgot from where they came and who brought them out of the place they came. And they said, let's have a leader that we like better. Do you know that this is what's happening in the modern day church? As Paul said, he wrote to Timothy and he said, there will come a time when they, when they, when they, when they, when the people will heap up for themselves teachers with itching ears. And you have people that come against the preachers, which is wrong when they won't give people truth, they won't give them meat, they won't give them the gospel. That is wrong on their part, but it says that there's going to come a time when the people will heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they only want to hear what makes them comfortable. You know what that is? It's a spirit of religion. Religion tells you to stay like this and stay informed even if there's no power. To stay informed because it's comfortable even if there's no power there. We don't serve a powerless God. If things aren't working right in our life, we need to break out of the mold, the containment that the Holy Ghost, uh, that, that the enemy has brought us into, and we need to take on what the Holy Ghost has for us. Do you know this? Oh, this is going to be strong language. I'm going to save that for next week. Okay, here we go. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you eight very quickly. I'm going to give you eight. Anybody get anything out of this? I'm going to give you eight attributes about what a revival spirit is. Number one, attribute number one, and we'll post these on social media or you can get it afterwards. I'm going to run through them quick. Number one, expects, so if you're taking notes, you're going to have to take them fast, otherwise you can get it later. Number one, a revival spirit expects what God has spoken to come to pass. Someone who has a revival spirit has an expectation that what God has said, that that thing will actually come to pass. 
You know, I've had people mock me for years for believing in the supernatural, for believing in healing, for believing in the power of God, for believing we're going to have revival. I had this, uh, this little blessing that was following me on, on uh, Facebook a, while, you know, a couple years ago, and I was talking about how that God's bringing revival to America. <laughs> One of us was right. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I said, God's bringing revival to America. Things are changing. It's not the end for America yet. And he started prophesying all this stuff. He called me a heretic and all this kind of, you know, whatever nonsense. And, and, I got, and I stepped back and I thought for a second, I'm like, Lord, am I missing something here? And he goes, no, you're believing me for the best. You know, the, the whole world might go, might go to hell in a handbasket, whatever that even means. Uh, but it's not going to go there with my help. I'm going to stand against evil all of my days, and I'm going to proclaim the word of God all of my days. So a revival spirit expects what God has spoken to actually come to pass. Number two, a revival spirit contends for what God has spoken. You know, it's one thing to have a word from God. It's another thing to contend for that word. And they're the contending, that's the people of faith. They get a word from the Lord. And, and this is, I love prophecy, but I don't like it when prophecy gets just thrown out there and people don't steward what God's given. If God gives a word, take that word, write that word down, you pray that word, you believe that word, you speak that word, you ask about the word, you inquire about the word, you consider the word, you think about how to apply the word, you put the word on the shelf, you take it off the shelf, you put it on the shelf, you take it off the shelf, you ask God the timing of the word, you contend for what God has said. And a revival spirit will take something that the Lord has said and will say, that thing right there that God has spoken, that will come to pass, and I'm going to do everything that I can to steward the thing that the Lord has said. Yes. Hallelujah. So I ask you, do you have a revival spirit? A revival spirit, number three, is, a, is void of selfish ambition in the contending. Katie talked about this last week. It's a great message. If you didn't listen to what she, she ministered, go back and listen to that. And, you know, she was talking about the, the fact that when we're inheriting something, it's not just for us, but it's for the generations after us. And remember, I just read here in, in, in Numbers chapter 14, the very first verse I, I, I read was that Caleb, the Lord promised Caleb that he would inherit it, but it would also be for his descendants. And someone that has a revival spirit would be willing to spend the rest of their life never even physically touching what, they, what God's promised, but will contend for it because they care about generations and they care about people more than they do themselves. Number four, a revival spirit is, is single-minded about what God has spoken. They're single-minded about what God has spoken. This is incredibly important. There are so many things pulling for our attention. I have had people, and listen, I listen to people. I have a council of people around me that have the freedom to tell me, you are wrong. You're not seeing this right. I, I have people around me, uh, many of them sitting here in different places and even ones outside of this that, that have the, the full freedom to tell me when I am doing something wrong. But... When I'm doing something right and I've heard God right, I will stay on that thing and I won't move. Because if God said it, then it's my job to see that I stick with it till it comes to pass. Number five, um, a, a, a revival spirit isn't moved or distracted by circumstances that oppose what God has spoken. Abraham had a revival spirit. I don't think he developed it at first, but it got developed in him. God developed this mind in him to where in hope, contrary to hope, 
contrary to what was going on in the natural, he was able to look and see as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the, on the seashore, so shall my descendants be. And it says that because he did not consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb, that's what brought about Isaac. That's what brought about the promise. That's what brought about what God had spoken and said that would come to pass. Abraham had a revival spirit. He wasn't willing to believe anything other than what God said, and he was not distracted by things that were natural circumstances that opposed what God said. This is, this is what faith is. This is the essence of faith, is that when God says this to you, whether it's from the Word, from the, from the Word of God, uh, a verse that he shows you, uh, and or it's a personal word that he gives you, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to go and look at that thing, and it literally doesn't matter what the natural circumstances are saying. If God said it, God's word is true, that's final. All we have to do is believe it. That's what we're required to do. And I would be, I, I wish I could uh, um, say that every time I believed God and contended for something, that it happened just like that. I've had things that I've been contending for for years, but it doesn't change what God said. And so a person that has a revival spirit, they won't let off of what God said. This is why Caleb had what he had. This is why Joshua had what he had. That after all of their years in the wilderness, after all of their years in Egypt, they believed in something better. They believed in the God that had something better for them. And they were willing to do whatever it took to push off all of the natural circumstances. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's not unreasonable in the natural if your leader, Moses, tells you to go into the land that you're supposed to go into. It's not unreasonable to come back and say, there are some really huge people there. In fact, like, I mean, if you want to just go look and use Goliath as an example, the Bible, every Bible scholar basically believes that Goliath was a minimum of nine feet, nine inches tall. Minimum, bare minimum, nine feet, nine inches tall, because it's like, it was like six cubits in a span, and a cubit was like here to here. You figure it's 18 inches, something like that, and you take six cubits, you know, 18 inches times six would be nine feet and nine inches tall, I believe is the math. That's the minimum he was at. Do you know how tall nine feet, nine inches is? is? Well, that light right there is about 10 foot. Just below that, imagine, imagine peeking through the bushes, and being like, what's going on? Whoa. I mean, imagine that. It wouldn't be unreasonable to come back and say, hey, uh, everything looks good there except for those giant people who could literally step on us and crush every bone in our body. But it's natural. It's only natural. God is not limited to the natural. It doesn't matter how many giants there are. It doesn't matter how big the giants are. And David knew this because he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Meaning, who's this one that's not in covenant? Because I have a covenant with my God that says that his head is going today. Was it moved by natural circumstances? A few more here. A revival spirit. Everybody doing okay? Woo! This is Awesome. A revival spirit works in opposition. Here's another one. Number six, works in opposition to all forms of death. Death in relationships, death in the church, death in somebody's body. A revival spirit will look at that and say, it's no problem for God. Have we ever prayed for things that we wanted to see revived that we didn't? Yeah. I could tell you so many testimonies of where I missed it. I could, I could get you totally discouraged. 
But I can also tell you a tons of testimonies where I saw it come to pass because I believe what God says. I can't make things come to pass, but I can make myself believe what it is that God's saying. Number seven, and I've got just two more. Number seven, a, a revival spirit is void of the fear of man. Oh, this is huge. Is void of the fear of man. To stand up in the midst of people, you've got 10 people that are saying, don't go into the land. It's, it's, we're not able to, to overtake it. And then to stand up in the midst of them and say, be quiet. All you be quiet. You're speaking nonsense. You didn't listen to Moses and you're not listening to God. <laughs> That's what I would say if I were there. That's how I would say it too. <laughs> and he said, we shall by all means possess the land. That's someone that doesn't have a fear of man. Listen, if you have a fear of man, you don't have a fear of God. The fear of God will squelch the fear of man. When I'm talking about the fear of God, I'm talking about being afraid of God. I'm talking about having a reverence of God. There's a reverence that needs to return to his people where we reverence what he says. We reverence his presence. You want to know why we come in here and, and, and we get on our knees? It's because it's a good Sunday morning show and we just want to tell you how holy we are, how humble we are. No, we do this on Saturday nights when we pray. We do this on Thursday morning when we pray. We do this when we're at our house when we pray. We do this when we're at meetings with other people and we pray and we worship. I'm not saying I always get on my knees, but I'm saying I always have a heart to say, God, you're here. Nothing else matters. God, you're here. This goes right into the last one. Number eight, a revival spirit opposes pride and pursues abandonment and worship. It opposes pride and pursues abandonment and worship. What does abandonment look like for you? Because if you're not able to press past where you can see in your heart, where you can see in your mind about where you should go with God and worship, then you are lacking at least a part of the fullness of the revival spirit that God wants to give you. And it's not about putting on a show for anybody. It's about being free. It's about coming and stepping into a place to where you move past your limitations in your mind, and you can worship God with everything you have in you. I determined this. I've, I've been in different circles and places and different meetings. I've even been at times, I won't even say it that way. Let me just be careful how I say it. I've been underneath of different places and things where I watched, where I watched a row, a whole row, a big row of leaders in the body of Christ, and as we were worshiping, as the congregation was worshiping, and the worship team was worshiping, they stood there like this. And occasionally you would see a little bit like this. And I'm thinking, my God, these are our leaders? These are the ones that are supposed to be leading us? And I'm not saying my God like in vain, I'm saying my God, ah! I'm done putting myself underneath of leaders that don't have enough humility to worship the only one with everything they have in them, to worship the only one that's worthy of worship. Because see, when the presence of God comes in the room, when God shows up, there's a posture that takes place in the mind, in the heart, and with the arms, and with the legs, there's a posture that happens. And you say, well, I'm older and I have a hard time getting down on my knees. It's not about that. If you got to sit or you got to stand or whatever, it's fine. But where's your heart in the matter? Because if you're young enough, you should be down on your face before God. Moses got it right. The New Testament church nowadays has it wrong because it's full of a religious spirit. 
they think that it's holy and like whatever, look at me and there's this pride thing about like, I'm gonna worship but the people are behind me and I don't want them to see me get too far off the grid here. We don't know what's gonna happen. Blah! When Moses went up on the high mountain with God and God showed up, it says that he bowed down and he bowed down and he put his face to the ground and he began to worship God and declared him holy and loving and good and faithful and true and kind. That's what you do in the presence of God. And a revival spirit will break off that thing that keeps you contained from giving God the worship that he deserves. And what happens is you not only give God what he deserves, but you get what you don't deserve. You will find favor. You will find freedom. I know some of y'all look at me like I'm a nutcase. I am free. I'm a free person. Come out from behind your cage and get free. The platform is set. It's not weird. It's not weird. The church is weird today. And listen, I'm not. You, listen, you can worship however you want. You because you could be bound by that. You'd be like, Pastor, I'm just struggling to even raise my hands. Then you and God work that out. I'm not. I'm not coming against you. I don't want you to feel condemned, but God deserves everything that we have. Yes. Everything. There's not anything, even the breath in your lungs, like the song we sang. Yeah. All of that belongs to the Lord. Yes. All of it belongs to the Lord. And you know why people feel so, they feel so reserved is because they've watched leaders for years and all different things. They either sit on the front light row like we do and they're like, and I'm not saying I haven't ever done that, but I'm free and getting free. Or they'll have people, I was at a place one time, I'll never say where it was, but I was at a place one time, and the, man, the, the house was rocking. I mean, the things were just, you know, people were worshiping God, and you say, well, I think some of that's flesh. That's fine, I'll give God my flesh too, it's no problem. And so, but then the next thing you know, you see the senior leader of this place literally comes down a spiral staircase onto the stage, and sits on a couch and watches us on the last song. And I thought, this is off. Incredible anointing on the guy. Terrible humility. When the leader of an organization, church, family, anything, puts themselves above worshiping the Lord, something is wrong. You want to know? Oh, Jesus. Do it. Oh, Jesus. Kingston, come up and play. It's going to help me finish. You want to know why? Oh, Lord, is that me saying it or is it you saying it? I'll just say it. You want to know why our country is so messed up? Thank you. One yes. Y'all can leave. We'll talk. Amen. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if I said, let's have a, no problem, eyes up here, please. <laughs> if I said, I want everybody to come up here and worship and let's just give it all to Jesus right now. You know what would happen? 10 to 1, women to men. And you'd have the men in the back going, oh, bless the Lord. Just bless the Lord. 
get off your holy self and get in front of the holy one and worship him. Nobody is above God. Nobody is above God. Moses had it right. Men aren't leading in this. You say, well, I feel really condemned. I'm telling you the truth. If you feel condemned, that's the devil making you feel condemned. But maybe there's a spirit of religion that's trying to tell you not to lead your family. Because people are like, even men, I mean, I mean God-fearing men. They're like, man, I want the best for my family. I want my family to love God. I want them to, all this stuff. But then they don't do it. They don't do it. Let me call you up to a higher level, men. You're called to lead your families, to lead your home, and to lead this nation in revival. It has to include the men. The men have an anointing on them to lead. To lead. But here's what happens as you lead. This is what happens as you lead. Because I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then you have to have a wife that will go like this. Stop for a second, because you're partly idiot. Because see, women have intuition that men will never have. I'm not talking about men being demonstrative and being, you know, chauvinistic and stuff like that. I'm talking about them taking their rightful place in a posture of humility, saying, God, I'm going to put you first in everything in my life. And you watch that, and there's this statistic that has gone around. Just stay here. This feels nice. You calm me. That when the men, the dads, the husbands will come to the Lord first, 97% of the time, the rest of the family will give their lives to Christ. What do you think would happen in the church if the men would stand up and start worshiping God with unabandoned men? What do you think is going to happen with the women? What do you think is going to happen with the children? I know I'm preaching. I'm getting right in your grill, but somebody's got to do it. The time is short. Jesus is coming. Souls need to be saved. Revival needs to be carried on. And if you're going to have a revival spirit, you have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to let go of me. I'm going to let go of my pride. I'm going to let go of what I think is right. I'm going to let go of how I feel, and I'm going to go for it. And if somebody thinks something of you, let them think something of you. Let them think whatever they want to think. But honestly, it's because we think too much about ourselves. I told you I was going to say some tough stuff today. But it's because, please, it's because I have a heart of love for you. I'm telling you the truth. I have a heart of love for you. And I have been, I have, you know, we have been here. And I'm not saying just us. I mean, man, you guys are awesome. We brag on you guys all the time. Disease come in here. And they're like, this place is awesome. They travel all over the world. There's something special here really special here. But I'm telling you, we've been here for 11, going on 12 years now. And it took me about six plus years to really start to kind of like even understand like, oh, we're supposed to go this way, Lord. It took me a little bit. (laughs) But when I got a hold of some things, I'm like, I'm going and I am not going to let up. And you know what? You know what's plagued men? Shame. It's like, it's like, I even think this probably because Adam didn't leave, lead Eve in the garden. He ended up being, this is, this is Kentology right here, straight up Kentology. But this is what I think, is that he, he ended up leading her in shame. 
he realized at that moment that she was like, whatever the fruit was, I don't know. The moment she bit, he realized I wasn't in my right place. The sin actually started before she partook. It was things going on in the heart. Sin's an inward issue. And I believe he realized at that point, and what's happened since then is males, male human beings have led in shame. And then the enemies brought them all kinds of stuff where they feel shame. Shame's got to be stripped off. It's got to be stripped away. Shame works in opposition to having a revival spirit. It works in opposition to freedom. And shame isn't about you being perfect. Shame is about you looking to the perfect one and realizing what you have and who you are in him. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.